to the Bad Quaker Podcast, where liberty is our mission. Today is Monday, August 26th, 2013. My name is Ben Stone, and this is podcast number 341. Uh, to uh, just have our notes really quick and brief here, I want to let you know that uh, the the video of David Barker, uh, with the help of Drew Phillips, is uh, up on the uh, on the inner tubes. This is from uh, Davi, when Davi Barker played uh, Darth Vader at Porkfest. And if you haven't seen Davi Barker as Darth Vader at Porkfest, then get over to badquaker.com and there's a link. It's the top link in today's show notes. Hit that link. It'll go over to, to YouTube and you can watch uh, the very entertaining Davi Barker as Darth Vader at Porkfest 10 earlier this year. And... Um, and if you do that, and I think you really should, I think it's well worth your time to watch to watch this little show. Um, if you do that, you're going to notice in today's show notes uh, a lot of links because um, because there's a lot of links for today's show notes, and it's important because as I go through this, there are several key books that uh, that I want to emphasize how important they are as foundation to a person's thinking. Um, and, and also there's some, a, a couple other references there as well that are not books. But, um, but as I go through today's show, uh, it, it's, it's very important if you can at all. You know, some of the links on today's show notes are, go to Amazon where you can buy the books, but you don't necessarily have to get them there. If you look around, you know, there's ways to get these books. Mises Institute um, uh, has Mises.org. They have a lot of this stuff that's f- free as downloads in PDF form, or there's audio books where uh, Jeff Riggenbach or some of the others read them. There's all kinds of ways to get your hands on, on this information. But uh, the critical thing is that you get your hands on it, that you don't just, you know, uh, don't take my word for things. Don't take don't listen to some somebody else and just take their word for it. You to really own something, you have to get down deeper into it and and really, uh, you know, study it in a way so that you own it in your mind. And uh, the books that I'm going to reference today are a really good way to do that. Uh, but, you know, back to the lighthearted part. Um, seriously, get over there to badquaker.com and hit that link and watch Davi Barker as Darth Vader at Porkfest 10. It's, it's a hoot, and I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about fundamentals. That's the whole purpose of today's podcast is to get back to fundamentals. And what I'm talking about when I say fundamentals, there's two things that are absolutely critical to everything that I've been talking about, everything that I teach about, everything that, uh, you know, the whole uh, grasp of words like liberty and freedom and, you know, uh, all these things are wrapped up in the fundamentals. And what are the fundamentals? The fundamentals are 
zero aggression, and private property. Everything I teach, everything I reach for, everything I try to push, everything is based on those two fundamentals. Zero aggression and private property. Uh, now, it's you know, I hear this fairly frequently, not so much from my listeners, but mostly from people who are not my listeners. I hear things like, um, well, well, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, you know, what? How come? How come you don't provide uh, uh, an answer to exactly what we need to do for liberty? How come we? How come you're saying we shouldn't vote? How come you're saying we shouldn't call a congressman? How come you're saying we shouldn't, you know, try to to rally around the Capitol and show how important some issue is? Well, um, and the other thing these same people will say is, well, you're just criticizing, you're criticizing the system or you're criticizing, you're just saying what's wrong. You're not offering any solutions or you're not saying, you know, what we should do. And it's all about what we should do. And there's this great emphasis on this. And as I said, mostly that's from people who don't actually listen to my podcast. That's the, uh, the people that are out there that hear me say or hear someone else say that I said that, you know, voting is immoral or that you can't accomplish good by doing evil. And, you know, every act of government is an act of theft and aggression. So you can't use government to accomplish your good, to accomplish a good thing. It's just, it's illogical. And so people hear that on the outer edges and they they leaped all kinds of to uh, all kinds of conclusions based on that. So, so am I gonna? Am I ever gonna offer solutions? Am I gonna say do A, B, and C? Call your congressman or go down to your city council meeting and do this and do, the, do this and do this? No, I'm never going to offer. I'm never gonna say do A, B, C, and D. Follow these commands and you will accomplish X, Y, and Z. I'm not gonna do that. No, never, because I'm not a central planner. And I won't become one simply because people refuse to think for themselves. And in the whole situation kind of reminds me of something. Uh, you know, I talk about this all the time. I talk about watching animals. And I talk about observing animal behavior and how they react with each other and so forth. And this particular part of the conversation reminds me of baby birds. Now, this is not birds in the nest, but birds that have, uh, that have already developed enough that they can get out of the nest and they can fly around as much as they want. And what they'll do is they'll bug their, their parents. Mostly they're, it's all according to the type of bird. I'm thinking specifically of, uh, sparrows and house wrens. They're really, they're both really bad about this. The baby bird, even though it's fully functional as an, as an adult, it can do everything that the adult can do. It will still follow around the adult birds. And uh, they generally have so, sort of an odd behavior. They sort of squat and lean their head back and, and wiggle their wings, uh, you know, very excitedly. And they kind of dance around. But what they're actually doing is they're begging for the adult to pick up the food off the ground and put it in their mouth. So the adult will be over eating some seeds off of some grass or picking some bugs out of some grass or doing whatever. Or if there's a bird feeder, the adult bird will be standing there eating at the bird feeder. And the baby, the, I shouldn't say baby because it's, it's more, I would say more of an adolescent. So the adolescent bird, uh, flies up to the adult and stands there and begs, even though the food is right there at its feet. All it has to do is pick the food up. And yet the, the adolescent bird will go through this ritual of begging until the adult bird reaches down, picks up the food and places it in the bird's mouth. 
and the uh, the the adolescent bird will continue doing this so long as the adult will continue feeding them. And eventually, the way the adult gets out of this loop is just to catch the adolescent bird looking the other direction and fly completely away from it and, and abandon it so that it's stuck being forced to feed itself. And I feel like this sometimes. There are certain people that want me to pick up every little grain and put it in their mouth and every little piece of bird food and put it in their mouth and every little bug and put it in their mouth. But I'm not a central planner, and I'm not here to tell people how to live their lives, and I'm not here to plan exactly how we're going to do A, B, C, and D and accomplish X, Y, Z goals. That's not what I'm about, um, because I believe in spontaneous order. I believe in market forces. I believe these things will take place within the right timing for them, whether I do something or not. So... So this process with, like with the baby birds, I've seen this over and over with statists. It's mostly in this transition period where a person is, um, they're still kind of holding on to the state ideas and yet they, they kind of see that there's problems with believing in the state and they kind of understand that there's something bigger and better out there, but they can't quite let go. They can't quite, uh, they can't quite let go of the dependency that the that the belief in the state gives them that that you know that security blanket that somebody else will hand you the food that uh um if you take their state away uh they they want you to provide something else well who will build the roads well okay well who will do this well who will do that well who will that that's what they want that's the argument that they want you to get into they want to stand there and beg in front of you while you while you uh, you know mentally go through and take every little grain and show them that all they have if they're all you all you have to do is have a market desire for it and it'll happen. So whether it's the roads or whether it's health care or whether it's who will protect us from the dirty people overseas or whatever the silly thing that the statist can't let go of their faith in in this monster of the state, whatever that thing is that they hold on. I, for a while I was calling it a pacifier. It's it's like, yeah, it doesn't really nourish them, but they, they grip it and they hold on to it and they won't let go of it. And if you try to take it away from them, they scream and they cry. And I also referred to it as a security blanket or in several other ways like that, a teddy bear. It's that thing they can't let go of. And they, and, you know, and they want you to provide them step by step, uh, crutches so that they can, um, justify exactly how will this be done in a, in a liberty environment and exactly how will all these things. And it's really, uh, it's really a losing proposition to go down that path. Just because you can't imagine it happening without central planning doesn't mean it's not going to get done. Um, just because you refuse uh, to, 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 to trust the market uh, doesn't mean it won't get done. Um, and just because I refuse to be a central planner for you, that doesn't mean that I don't have an answer or that I'm offering you nothing. I'm offering the solution. I'm offering the market. I'm offering freedom. And the, and the, the other side of that is to remain a slave, remain in a status position where you have to depend on someone else to pick the food up and put it in your mouth rather than learning, rather than taking that leap and just 
doing it on your own and realizing that everything that is needed for you is there. It's available. And the state doesn't actually provide anything. It just steals from some people to give to other people. Now, in a way, this reminds me very much of the Bastiat argument. That if the state doesn't provide it, or if, or if you say the state shouldn't provide it, then that must mean that you don't want it at all. So, for example, we use the roads, for example. I say, well, this, the government shouldn't be the ones that provides the roads. Well, then automatically you assume that I am against the roads or that I have no solution as to how you would have a road. And the way Bastiat put it is, you know, you, if I say I'm against the government providing education, then you automatically assume I'm against education. Or if you, if, if I say that the government shouldn't be involved in religion, then you assume I'm an atheist. There's this leap right into that. Like, like, you know, you can't imagine the market providing the thing on its own. So you just necessarily assume that I don't have any answer at all. Uh, so this is why I want to get back to fundamentals. And again, those fundamentals being the zero aggression principle. And that's not mostly zero aggression. That's zero aggression. You know, it's not like um, zero aggression except for this couple things over here where we need to rob you so that we can provide you with A, B, and C. No. Zero aggression means zero aggression. It means nobody gets robbed. And it means if somebody does get robbed, then you can defend yourself against that robbery. Because you're dealing with an individual, not a government that has um, this this mystical system that surrounds it, that provides it a way to steal from you, and you can't ever do anything about it. So zero aggression means not mostly zero aggression, but actually zero aggression. And property rights. These are the fundamentals. This is the basics. Property rights. Either you own you, or you don't. You see, you can't... Um, kinda own something, or you can't sorta own something. If you own something, if you own a Twinkie, and someone else says, yeah, you own the Twinkie, yeah, great, but you just can't eat it, well, then you don't really own it, do you? Well, what if you want to do something else with it? What if you want to throw it to those birds? Well, if somebody tells you, no, you can't throw it to the birds, then you don't own it. Property means you either own it or you don't. And once a person philosophically embraces the principles of zero aggression and property rights, um, that's when the work has just begun. Not, you know, it, it's it's really easy to say, well, sure, uh, nobody should aggress against each other. We can all agree to that. That's not a difficult thing at all. No one should aggress. And then it's also not a difficult thing for people who are not, you know, true communists to say, sure, we can have private private property. You can own something. That's great. Um, I'll I'll support the right to own something. Sure. So in theory, in a philosophical level, it's really easy to get to that point to say, I agree with with zero aggression, and I agree with property with uh, uh, private property right. It's really easy to get to that point. But that is, that is just where the work begins. That's not the goal. The goal is not to philosophically agree to these two points. The goal is on the other end when we actually achieve freedom. And so to philosophically say you embrace the zero aggression principle and property rights 
is just empty words. It's rhetoric. It's nothing more than that. It has not even started the, you, you have not even started the, the journey, this, the paths. You're standing there looking at the journey, agreeing philosophically with the journey, but you haven't taken a step yet until you start to apply those principles first in your own life and in your own practices. And then you begin pointing those uh, principles out to others. It's our job to hold the feet of humanity to the fires of truth using these two principles. Now, how do we do this? Well, we have to become a testimony of the zero aggression principle in private property. Now, the older listeners, the, I shouldn't say older, the long-term listeners have heard me talk about testimony before. And so I want to just throw this out really quickly without boring the, the long-term listeners, but while introducing this to the new, to the newer listeners. Okay, so when I was a kid, my parents were Baptists and in, and they were very involved in Baptist churches. And so in a Baptist church, there would be a very often a time when people could testify or give their testimony. And this usually involved a person either standing up where, where they were in the church, just standing up and speaking, or uh, sometimes, according to the tradition of that particular church, they would walk to the front of the church and they would stand somewhere in the front of the church and they would give a, a very brief little talk, a very brief little thing. And it would be something like, I really love Jesus, uh, this happened or that happened, and, you know, it was a struggle, and but we overcame it, and now thank you very much, God, and that's their testimony, and then they go back and sit down. And it's usually like one or two, maybe three minutes or five minutes if the person is really wordy. And they called that giving a testimony, or or they called that the person's testimony. But to Quakers, testimony is completely different than that. If I say that uh, that I'm telling the truth, that's not a testimony to a Quaker. A testimony is not talking about something. The testimony is in the actual life you lead. So in other words, if I stand up in, in some kind of church meeting and I say, I like the truth, well, I haven't done anything. I have done absolutely nothing. I may have philosophically agreed that I like the truth, but the testimony comes in the life that you lead. Do you embrace the truth in your life? Do you ever say something that uh, that's not necessarily true? Do you say, like for me, in in example to the truth, I'm very careful about what I say about the future. So I so I don't say things like, well, tomorrow I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy an apple. I, I wouldn't. I I try to avoid saying that as much as possible. Instead, I might indicate that. You know, tomorrow uh, I plan to go to the grocery store and I hope to buy an apple because I don't control the future and I don't have absolute control. So I can't say with absolute certainty that I'm going to do something because it's in the future. So I'm setting myself up for a lie. So my my commitment to truth is such that I will not swear an oath to anything. Um, I will not uh, make an absolute statement about the future. I can say I believe something, or I'm going to try to do something, but I can't say as an absolute fact that something is is a certain way. Now, if I'm looking at my desk, and I see on my desk a laptop with a mouse, then I can say there's a laptop and a mouse right here. I'm seeing it. I'm touching it. This is truth. But I'm not going to assume something that I can't actually prove. Okay, so so this is what I'm talking about being a testimony for the zero aggression principle and for property rights. Well, I can't the the problem with uh with a lot of people in the so-called liberty movement 
is that they still at the at the core of their belief they still see a place for an aggressive government for uh, we can call them minarchists they they in theory they'll agree in theory in philosophy they'll agree that oh yeah it would be a lot better if we had no government and they'll use words like government is a necessary evil how can you have a necessary evil uh, can there be a necessary punch in the nose can there be a necessary unprovoked aggressive punch in the nose well, how can there be a necessary evil in government? These things are self-contradictory. If you believe in zero aggression, then how can you embrace the idea that you can have a government based on aggression? That somehow a, a minarchist or a, a tiny little bit of a government that we can just tolerate, that's good. You can tolerate a little bit of a punch in the nose? Is that what you're saying? You don't mind then if I just rob you a little bit, right? You see, there, there's this problem with with um, so many people in the liberty movement when they want to philosophically embrace the ideas of zero aggression and property rights, but they're not willing to go that last step and actually make you know uh, put legs to what they believe, take that step towards liberty. They'll stand at the path and look down it. And philosophically agree that it's a pretty good idea, but they don't make that step on the path moving towards freedom. It never happens. They stay right there, gripping the, the, the belief in the government, the gripping the myth of the state, refusing to let go of it, sucking on that pacifier. And they come up with any variety of excuses. I mean, they have, you know, if you name um, 50 people, that like what I'm talking about, uh, minarchists or however you want to label them, uh, you can name 50 of them. You'll have 50 different reasons, 50 different things that they that they still grip hold of and the reasons that they can't let go of, aggressive, of, a, of an aggressive government. Um, some kind of insecurity that they just can't trust. To, to go ahead and take that step on the path of liberty. So coming to the point where we theoretically reject statism and embrace the path of liberty, of liberty is just the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. Um, stopping there is like, it's kind of like if you have a heroin addict and, um, and he realizes that his addiction has ruined his life and it's going to kill him. And he realizes that he doesn't have control over the heroin. And he looks at that and he really comes to an honest evaluation of himself. And he says, yes, yes, I'm addicted to this. It's destroying my life. It's going to kill me. And then he doesn't stop that self-destructive behavior. Well, it's kind of like the the person, the libertarian who has theoretically uh, rejected statism and embraced the path of liberty, but he's never taken that step. He's never actually gone on and rejected the state indeed in his testimony and made the and began with the first step, the walk towards liberty. He hasn't made that step. The path begins. The path begins when we embrace the commitment to zero aggression and property rights. Everything prior to that point is just groping in the dark. The very first actual step is rejecting the state. The myth that zero aggression and property and, and, and private property can coexist with faith in the state is like embracing the belief 
that you can be forced into something and volunteer at the same time. It's kind of like the difference between um, boxing and being attacked. Or it's like the difference between trade and theft. Or it's the difference between love and rape. They may in many ways be the same thing, but they are vastly different. You cannot be forced and volunteer at the same time. You cannot be free and under the boot of the government at the same time. The two things are self-contradictive. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And this has been um, a little bit of a geek dis- uh, distraction here. The uh, the words in the King James version of the Bible uh, use the word mammon. You can't you can't uh, you can't serve God and mammon at the same time as the words in the King James uh, Bible. But that's really a bad distortion. Uh, I could really get into a thing about King James and uh, and so forth. But I'll just mention in passing that that word mammon that's that's translated as money very often and believed to be money is not uh, doesn't have anything to do with money. It's it's a Chaldean, it comes from a Chaldean word that infers a lust for power, uh, overconfidence, avarice, authority. Um, it appears four times in the Bible, that, that word that is translated as mammon in the King James Version of the Bible. It appears four times. Two times is in this quote from Jesus where he says you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. The other two times are, are in different context, but at no time... Does it, uh, is it translated correctly into the word money? There are like, I think if I recall, there are six other words that the New Testament uses for money. Um, and, and all of those are based on things like, uh, the Greek word, uh, uh, stater, or where we get the word standard, or, uh, is, I think it's nomisma, nomisma, I believe. Which is, uh, it means its value is stated, its value is established by law. Um, and there's another word, uh, well there's a couple of words for, um, for money that's translated as money in the Bible that actually are the words for silver or for gold, or, uh, one word is translated as money, um, and it actually means the lust of silver. But at no time does this word mammon, mammon, uh, is it correctly translated as money? So that's just a little Bible geekness there. Uh, so Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God. And essentially he said government. You, you can't, you can't play with these two things in your mind at the same time. They can't coexist. You can't be, um, you can't accept, uh, and, and what I'm saying by God, you know, I've talked before about God's rules, N- nature, the things that he has established for humanity. Whether you believe God to be an actual person sitting on a cloud holding a lightning bolt and a hammer, or if you envision God as being something else, uh, the the rules of the universe or how things uh, operate in the universe, including things like evolution and stuff like this. However you perceive God, however you perceive the forces of nature, you can't accept that the nature of that is meant for humanity and mammon, which is the lust for power and the, the, the idea that some, uh, some men must serve other men. You can't embrace these two things at the same time. They're opposites according to Jesus. And I would accept that as, uh, as being true. So embracing zero aggression and private property and rejecting all faith in the state 
is that unplugging from the matrix moment. If you, if you're familiar with the movie, the matrix, when uh, prior to actually unplugging from the matrix, everything's in theory. Everything is in a world of imagination that's fake. Uh, it's all, um, the character in the movie is walking around, he's eating food, he's talking to people. It's all fake. It's all a lie. Everything that he experiences is a lie right up to the moment that he's unplugged from the matrix. And all of a sudden there's gut-wrenching pain, there's fear, there's cold, there's reality. And he goes through this horrible transition of facing the facts of reality and he's outside of the laws, uh, outside of the lies that he's believed all of his life. That's that unplugging from the matrix moment. Okay, I'm going to break for a commercial here. Stick with me and I'll be right back. Folks, there's only a finite supply of gold and silver in the world. However, politicians can print paper on a whim forever and ever. Hedge yourself against inflation and a volatile stock market by purchasing gold and silver bullion from Amagai Metals. As inflation gets worse, it will become more difficult to buy gold and silver. So secure your financial freedom today by visiting amagimetals.com. That's A-M-A-G-I-M-E-T-A-L-S dot com. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-882-8496. That's 1-800-882-8496, where financial freedom is yours. And be sure and tell them badquaker.com sent you. Would you like to do something to support BadQuaker.com? Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to BadQuaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give BadQuaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting BadQuaker.com. Thank you. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. So what I want to express is that humanity has been on a path of discovery. Um, but individuals have to be the ones who, who actually walk that path. We can't look at it collectively. It's up to each of us to walk that, to, to do the physical um, steps of walking this path. Now, at times, we've all groped in the dark, and at times, we've all looked for, you know, like a hand uh, to hold in the darkness to, to help guide us from uh, towards the path, to help guide us towards the light. And at different times, we've all sought to stand on someone else's shoulders to look just a little further out into the distance to try to see what's out there. And none of us have seen the whole path, and everyone is wrong about something. And so if, if we look back at leaders of the past in our movement, there were, we, we can't take any one of those leaders and say, this guy had it perfect. We can't do that because we're, we're all humans and we all have flaws. And as we've moved forward on this, we have learned from each other and we have, um, we have gained more and more over the years, um, from the mistakes of previous leaders that were in this movement. We can't just sit, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, um, kind of like, uh, 
there sometimes there are areas where there's a water flow, like you might have the difference between a, a river and a pond um, or a lake. You know, a lot of times uh, a, a body of water will have a flow in it, even if it's a stationary body body of water. There's still enough of a flow that it keeps the water relatively fresh. But whether we're talking about even sometimes in a river, you know, I was looking at the Great Miami River just the other day. We were driving uh, down the freeway, and I looked over and, and saw it, and it was at an absolute dead standstill. There was no water flowing at all. Um, and this happens in Ohio uh, pretty much every August. Uh, the, there's just not enough rain to keep the flow going. Well, when you get water that just sits and stagnates like that, it has no flow, it has no circulation, there's no current. Um, it, that's, we, we, sometimes we have a tendency in the liberty movement to be like that, to just sit and stew in our own filth and not, uh, and not experience the, the flow and the current that's going on around us. And it's really easy to get left behind if you think of, uh, if you think of a, um, water flowing down a river and it gets caught off into a side channel where it just sits there and circulates in itself and just gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier as it collects more filth that never gets washed down the river. Well, you gotta make sure that you're getting out there in the flow and out there in the stream and listening to people and, and hearing where the movement's going and what's going on and grab hold of hands and let's all get through this together. So we need, not only do we need uh, what's currently happening, we need to stay up on what's going on. We need to hear the different voices and the different people from different directions. And, you know, some of them are going to be wrong. And we have to sort that out in our minds and, you know, um, hear all things and uh, and hold fast to that which is true. I think Paul said that. But... Um, it's not harmful to hear these different things, but you have to be able to weigh them according to those two fundamental principles of zero aggression private property. If it's not meeting those criteria, then we need to reject it. So we can learn from those around us. We can learn from the, from the movement itself as, as it, as it flows. But we can also stand on the shoulders of those who went before us. We can learn from the vision of those who've already seen a certain distance. Now, a good example is, is the actual reason why I put, if you go over to badquaker.com, I put those, uh, old dead dudes, I like to call them, across the top of the, uh, of, of the webpage. Um, uh, and, and the reason that those guys are there is, is to try to point out that what I've done, uh, and what I'm trying to do is to try to build off of what they, what the foundations that they have laid. I try to stand on their shoulders and look just a little bit further. I try to take the principles that they've laid down and that, and that they have, uh, given life to, and I try to apply them to as many things as I can. So I'm going to run through real quick the names of those old dead dudes on my uh, on the on the picture there in the top of badquaker.com. To the far left we have Lysander Spooner and I want to heavily recommend to you the constitution of no authority. And this is going to be I mentioned before that there's going to be links in today's show notes. If you haven't read the constitution of no authority and it's not that long of a read, if you haven't read it, get over to badquaker.com and hit that link. Um so some of the things that we learn from Lysander Spooner, we learn uh, natural law. There's no obligation to an old dead contract. The Constitution of, of the United States means nothing. It never meant anything. I didn't sign it. Did you sign it? It's a contract. 
Essentially, it's a contract. But who signed it? Not me. So why am I bound to it? And the current government that we have in the U.S. or at any other time in the history of the U.S. Uh, was never bound to it. Never, not really. They, they violated it in the very first administration of the very first president because it's not a real contract. It doesn't, it has no binding capabilities. And Lysander Spooner proves that in his, in his writings. The very idea that the Constitution can control or, or, or somehow manage government is a myth. It never has been able to and it never will be able to. The concept is broken. So here's a quote from Lysander Spooner. He says, if any man's money can be taken by a so-called government without his own personal consent, all his other rights are taken with it. For with his money, the government can and will hire soldiers to stand over him, compel him to submit to its arbitrary will, and kill him if he resists. Now, the more you think about that, the deeper that becomes. Anytime you have a government that has the ability to take from you at their will, then you have no other rights. You have lost all rights. You have no right in property whatsoever. If they can take your money, they can do anything they want, and you have no right of property. And how do they do that? They can only do it through aggression. So the existence of government and the, uh, of course, of government and um, the zero aggression principle in property rights cannot coexist. The two things are uh, mutually exclusive. So then I um, I like to stand on Spooner's shoulders uh, when I'm thinking of this relationship between how a government can work and, uh, um, and the zero aggression principle and property rights. Okay, so the next face up there on the in the pictures is Henry David Thoreau. And um, I'd like, you know, I would say read uh, Resistance to Civil Government. I would say read that if you haven't already. But aside from reading that whole thing, I put a link in today's show notes for a Wendy McElroy article on Henry David Thoreau. And that's a nice, easy read. It's really good. It's a, it's a really nice – it's almost – yeah, I would say it's better than going back and spending all the time to read Thoreau's uh, Resistance to Civil Government. It's just – it's a lot better. It's like the Reader's Digest version um, uh, that, that Wendy McElroy uh, provides for you there. And you might even say in a lot of ways, you know, um, all those old dead dudes that I'm talking about in those pictures there, well, Wendy McElroy is very, very much alive and well – and in a sense, I stand on Thoreau's shoulders looking outward. But in another way, I climbed up on Thoreau's shoulders, and then I'm clawing uh, up Wendy McElroy's back trying to get on her shoulders to look out and see beyond what she can see because she has already seen that vision from Thoreau. And if I can climb up on her shoulders and see a little bit further, then that's even better for me. And if you can climb on my shoulders and see further, then it's a win for all of us. So I wanted to read a quote from uh, from Thoreau. He says, The state never intentionally confronts a man's senses, intellectual or moral, but only his body, his physical senses. I read that wrong. The state never intentionally confronts a man's senses, intellectual or moral, but only his body, his senses. It is not armed with superior wit or honesty, but with superior physical strength. I was not born to be forced. I will breathe after my own fashion. Let us see who is the strongest. That's probably my favorite Henry David Thoreau quote. 
Let us see who's the strongest. So I stand on Thoreau's shoulders when I proclaim that government is an unnatural condition. It, it, it's a violation of, of nature. And that's one of the main points I think that Thoreau tried to get across because he was very interested in what nature was and how to function within nature. Now, the next guy in the pictures up there is uh, Herbert Spencer. And um, the book, the takeaway from this is the book that Henry, that Herbert Spencer wrote called Social Statics. And there's a link in today's show notes for that. And it's something that you, it's one of those books that you really need on your shelf. Um, read it, but then have it on the shelf and look back on it now and then and, um, and really understand the, the concepts that Spencer was talking about in there. He's the guy who coined the phrase survival of the fittest. It was not Darwin that came up with that phrase. That, that's a Herbert Spencer, uh, quote, survival of the fittest. And the, and the thing that we can learn from Spencer is that the state is unfit to exist and will die of natural causes. The idea that some can govern others depends on a belief system where some humans are special, set apart by God or nature or whatever, and they have special powers or special rights over the rest of us. Well, this, this belief system that I'm talking about in the 1800s, it was used to justify the cult of power that surrounded men like, uh, like Napoleon Bonaparte and others. It's, uh, it's been called the great man theory, and it's been openly um, sold to the public uh, in all countries as the foundation as to why you have to have government. Um, the great man theory is this idea that there are special men that pop up in history and guide history. Well, Herbert Spencer just destroyed any logical basis for the great man theory. Uh, to Spencer, true law was wrapped up in the phrase, every man has freedom to do all that he wills, provided he infringes not the equal freedom of any other man. And I suppose that would probably be my favorite Herbert Spencer quote. So, you know, as we look at this situation, I want to stand on Spencer's shoulders and proclaim the zero aggression principle because that's basically what he said there. Every man has freedom to do, to do all that he wills, provided he infringes not the equal freedom of any other man. So essentially he's saying... The golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Do not aggress on others. This is, this is the zero aggression principle. It's the golden rule, all wrapped up in this, in slightly different, in a slightly different package. Now the next picture that you see there as you look at the old dudes is Ludwig von Mises. And the two books from Ludwig von Mises that you really need to have in your library, you need to have in your mental arsenal, even if you, uh, even if you just get them in a PDF version or whatever and you, uh, just look through them whenever you get the chance or maybe download them in a, in an audio version and listen to them in an audio version, however you do it. There's links in today's uh, show notes to, uh, Amazon where you can buy these two books, but you gotta get your hands on these two books from Ludwig von, Ludwig Ludwig von Mises, Human Action and Socialism. Now, the, the downside of buying a Ludwig von Mises book is that, um, to me anyway, they're thick and difficult to read. They really stretch my brain to, to, try, to try to read uh, von Mises. But 
it, it's also very good for you. Maybe not all the time. It, it's sometimes it's a good way to go to sleep, but um, but it's it's imperative to grasp the central concepts that you know Ludwig von Mises shows us that socialism. Uh, not only doesn't work, but can't work, can never work. Socialism is just flawed in its very origin. Mises is probably best known as the Austrian school of economics and, and so forth. And he did a- add to our understanding of money through the Austrian school's uh, methods. But, uh, but he also revealed the flaws of central planning. And um, so his point in human action was that humans act according to what they believe to be in their best interest. And if you take an understanding of that, and then you begin to develop an understanding of human nature, and then you understand that central planning can't work, socialism can't work, uh, the force of government trying to central plan things is contrary to, um, to human action itself and a contrary against the human will. So my, I think I'm going to throw out my favorite quote from Ludwig von Mises here. He says, government means always coercion and compulsion and is by necessity the opposite of liberty. And the funny thing is, like I mentioned earlier, you know, all of us have flaws. And a lot of these guys I've already mentioned here um, still had this tiny amount of faith that somehow government uh, was necessary or somehow government could be, could exist, but even if we all agree it shouldn't. So, so even in the case of Ludwig von Mises, he couldn't quite let go of that concept of government, yet he admitted that its very existence was the opposite of liberty. But I stand on Mises's shoulders when I pro- proclaim um, that the state is based on socialism, and socialism cannot work. It's just a non-functional system. In the long run, it will collapse. Government is the world's longest-running Ponzi scheme, but eventually, at some point, it'll collapse. And the next face on the on the the uh, website there is Murray Rothbard. And I'm going to tell you three books now that you need to have on your shelf from Murray Rothbard. Anatomy of the State, little book. You can read through it in an afternoon. It's a wonderful little book. Murray almost gets it perfectly right in that book. Um, For a New Liberty, uh, really, really important. It's called The Manifesto of Libertarianism uh, and Conceived in Liberty. Now, Conceived in Liberty is... The current version, the one that is linked to in today's show notes, um, is a huge, thick book. Hey, but if you're going to waste your time reading something like uh, Atlas Shrugged, throw that thing on the shelf and grab Conceived in Liberty, because Conceived in Liberty is facts of history, and Atlas Shrugged is the fantasy of a kind of a twisted mind. So if you're going to read something massive like, you know, uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged, you know, put the time into Conceived in Liberty, really. And even if you're not going to have it right away, these are books that, like I said, you really need on your shelf. Um, Anatomy of a State, For New Liberty, and Conceived in Liberty. And reading Rothbard taught me to view history in a completely different light. Um, it, I, it, it developed some of my most important critical thinking skills. Uh, I learned how to reject lies in history and how to measure everything against truth. And I learned from Rothbard that if the market desires something, the market will provide it. And if the, if the market desires it, the state can't prevent it. No matter what, 
Governments cannot stop something that the market desires. Um, and I and I learned that governments provide nothing that they didn't steal from someone first. And one of my favorite Rothbard quotes is, he says, It is curious that people tend to regard government as a quasi-divine, selfless Santa Claus organization. Government was constructed neither for ability nor for the exercise of loving care. Government was built for the use of force. And that's critical to understand that. We have to reject these uh, these ideas that government exists um, to help people or, or government formed because people couldn't get along without some kind of some kind of uh, final arbitrator that uh, used uh, you know aggressive force to settle all of our problems. These myths of how government got started, they're all just lies. Government got started for the same reason it exists today, and that is to rob people and steal from people to enrich others. So I stand on Rothbard's shoulders, and I look towards a new future and a new vision of liberty. And now for the old dude in the uh, in the pictures there on the on the page at badquaker.com, the old dude on the right with the crinkled hat. So what does he bring to uh, to this discussion? Well, I want to offer a new view of the state, different from the government. And if you're a long term listener, if you've heard me talk about these things before, then you probably know by heart what I'm about to say. But there's a real difference, and this is something that Murray never, Murray Rothbard never grasped, uh, Mises never grasped, you know, Herbert Spencer never, never got it, uh, Lysander Spooner never got it, and Henry David Thoreau never got it. But there's a difference between people that make their employment working for the government and enforcing the government and people walking around uh, every day uh, you know saying yes we have to have we may not like taxes but we have to have taxes and let's get down there and get the vote and all that kind of stuff that's all government all those uh, you know the mail trucks that drive around and the and the tanks that crush bones and and the and the fighter aircraft that fly through the sky and the giant faces carved on mountains that's all government. But there's another thing, a thing that's far more deadly, and that is the religious belief in the minds of people that think that that thing is legitimate. That religious belief, that that mythological assumption in the mind that humans can't get along without government, we need government, and government is legitimate. That's the enemy. That's the enemy of mankind. That's that old nasty beast. That's that great Satan. Right there it is. That that obnoxious religion that we have to have government. That's the enemy of mankind. And I offer a different version of the future, separate away from the political path. You know, pretty much all those guys had some form or another of a belief that uh, that you could somehow slowly move mankind towards uh, towards towards a libertarian path or towards a path of liberty um, while remaining within the political uh, body. I think Spencer probably rejected that more than than the others, and probably Thoreau probably rejected that quite a bit as well. But even Murray Rothbard still wanted to work within the system to accomplish his means. But you know, I go in a different direction than that, and I'm trying to pr- bring a different version of the future. Um, one based, I think, on on the exact same thoughts and beliefs as Mises and Rothbard and the others, but just refined more and taken to a further a further distance, a little bit further than they could see, maybe.
I offer a vision of the future based on a growing market demand for freedom. True, complete freedom. Not Orwellian freedom where you're still wearing a collar and a chain. True freedom. Not half measures. Not, not, uh, you know, not just enough hints of freedom to satisfy the sheep or to pacify the sheep. I'm not, I'm not seeking simply a longer leash. I'm talking about true freedom. The ability, like Spencer was talking about, to do as you want to do as long as it doesn't aggress on someone else. Real freedom and real ownership of property so that no one has not only the right but the ability to come and take my property and then call it legitimate. So let me hit these quotes one more time from Spooner. If any man's money can be taken by a so-called government without his own personal consent, all his other rights are taken with it. For with his money, the government can and will hire soldiers to stand over him, compel him to submit to its arbitrary will, and kill him if he resists. Now that's the truth. Now let's take a look at uh, something Thoreau said. I was not born to be forced. I will breathe after my own fashion. And now let's take a look at Spencer, and he says, Every man has freedom to do all that he wills, provided he infringes not the equal freedom of any other man. And Mises says, Government means always coercion and compulsion, and is by necessity the opposite of liberty. And now Rothbard says, it is curious that people tend to regard government as a quasi-divine, selfless Santa Claus organization. Government was constructed neither for ability nor for the exercise of loving care. Government was built for the use of force. So folks, humans face two possible futures. One is where the state grows to its logical end and destroys humanity altogether. And the other where humans reject the religion of the state and embrace true freedom. Not freedom with caveats, not freedom with limitations, not freedom with, yeah, but, freedom, where a person can own property rightfully and it cannot be rightfully taken, where a person can do as they will as long as they don't infringe upon another. Freedom. Now, for me, I'm a theist, and therefore I believe there is a season and a purpose to all things under the heavens. I believe that humans act according to what they think is in their best interest. And I believe that the market is the expression of human wants. And I believe that the market is a force that cannot be stopped. But it's a gentle force based on voluntarism. It's not based on aggression. I believe that when enough humans want freedom, the market will provide it, and there will be nothing that can stop that from happening. So this is the essentials. This is the basics. This is what it's all, this is what it's all based around. Zero aggression. Not mostly zero. Not kinda zero. Not roughly zero. Zero aggression. And property right. Individual, private, property right not mostly property right not kind of property right 
but the individual's right to property uninfringed. Folks, thanks for listening today, and remember to visit badquaker.com, where liberty is our mission. Thank you very much, folks.